Hello everyone and welcome to Golden Walkman Magazine. Even though it doesn't sound like it, my name is David Walker, bringing you the appendix for November 2017. I am a little under the weather, I think. <laughs> but either way, here we go. Um, there's, there's a lot to talk about for this month and I want to just get straight into it. Um, if you haven't listened to the Tapes from the Outside, our first Tapes from the Outside came out right before Halloween. These are submissions that are about current events, so we are accepting those submissions you know, pretty much consistently. Um, if you go on our website and look at the details about it, we have certain deadlines and response times and things like that, but pretty much send us your stuff and if it's pressing and we like it a lot, we'll probably find a time to release it earlier um, than our scheduled program either way. So there's that. Our next tapes from the outside is coming out in about five days, November 15th. So look out for that as well. We're also having the results for our dialogue submissions. That's happening. Um, two great poems that you know, the artist chose and the editors chose, me and Joey chose, and uh, can't wait to bring it to you. But also, what I'm really excited about is when we have that dialogue submissions winner issue, you're, you're going to see the cover art as an illustration that's in response to the music as well. So that's something completely new for us. That's gonna be on the website. It, it's just really cool. The, the different mediums that came out, not just writing, but illustration as well. Um, we were really excited for that and we had to feature it. So that's something to look forward to. And, th and then of course we have our, our regular issue that's gonna come out later on, um, the, the 30th. Uh, so we have the, the 20th is the dialogue submissions winner and the 30th is going to be our regular issue. Right now, and, and this is why I've been saying that this whole thing is is packed, is we're going to play you the the episode of The Literary Whip in which Joey Gould was pretty much interviewed about uh, Brendan Walsh's poem. So if you don't know what The Literary Whip is, it's a, it's a podcast, a literary podcast, that talks to editors about submissions that were very close to acceptance, but ultimately were uh, declined. And it's it's a great conversation, if I could say that. It, it was it was wonderful how Joey articulated everything. And Lisa, the host of the Literary Whip, did an amazing job delving into the the poetry. And we couldn't thank her enough for for giving you know Golden Walkman more exposure and and also. The opportunity to join in these amazing conversations uh, to, to show a side of the magazine that of, of any magazine that doesn't really get a chance to be shown so either way here we go the the full literary whip episode for Brendan Walsh's to break our backs with it in its entirety in this appendix issue I'm telling you November man good thing Thanksgiving is in this because this is gluttony at its finest <laughs> I don't know what that was, but enjoy this anyway.
writing stopped being fun when I discovered the difference between good writing and bad, and even more terrifying, the difference between it and true art. And after that, the whip came down. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Literary Whip. My guest this weekend will be Joey Gould, and we'll be discussing a really lovely poem by Brendan Walsh. But first, I just kind of wanted to check in with everybody, see how y'all are doing. How you doing? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you sort of keeping an eye on how you're holding it together? Because, you know, if we're honest with ourselves... I think a lot of us are having a really hard time holding it together. I know that every time we have another one of these enormous disasters, there's really no other word for it. This is a disaster. It's a fucking mess. Every time we have one of these and there's the usual round of thoughts and prayers and and then nothing, it just chisels another big chunk out of my heart and I find it very very hard to to continue to hold out hope when hundreds of people in just a few minutes are killed and wounded and in the back of my mind I just think nothing's going to be done about this nothing is going to happen the shooter was killed whether I've heard that he killed himself. I've heard that he was killed by law enforcement. I have no idea what to believe at this point, but he is, the consensus is he is dead. And so I feel like people are going to sort of go, well, okay, problem solved and go back to their lives. And if, I find it very hard to do that. And I don't know how to, how to go on from that. And I feel like I'm not the only one. So if you are looking at recent events and just feeling sad and hopeless and stressed, I'm with you. I am right there with you. On the other hand, I truly feel that now is the time to not give up on your own creativity, to not stop writing, to not stop making art, uh, to not stop singing and dancing because it's really hard to live a life that is utterly without joy. And I believe that the process of creation has the potential to bring a terrific amount of joy, not just to the creator. I mean, I I love writing. I love first drafts, especially because that feeling of creating out of thin air, something that has never existed before is just exhilarating. But you can create joy in the people that then get to partake in your art, that get to read your words or view your painting or watch your dance or listen to your song. All of those things add to the net happiness in the world. And considering the avalanche of ways in which the net happiness in the world is being eroded, there's like climate change of net happiness. And we can, we can fight that. We can fix that. Keep creating, keep acting like the act of creation matters. Know deep in your hearts that what you are doing as a creative person matters. And therefore, by extension, that you matter. So that's really, that's 
the thing that I would like to leave all of you with, that you matter. You matter to me. You matter to, to a lot of other people. And that I'm glad that you're here. And so with that, uh, I want to talk to my buddy, Joey, who is a wonderful, wonderful poet in his own right about Brendan Walsh, a contributor to the Golden Walkman. So let's get to it. Thanks. Today, my guest is Joey Gould, editor at the Golden Walkman. I'm Lisa Quintana from Zoetic Press. And Joey, tell me about the Golden Walkman. Hi. Yeah. So thank you for having me. So I'm representing myself and also David George Walker, who founded the magazine. And then he brought me on as a co-editor when we started getting more submissions. So we're an audio journal. Uh, We release on Stitcher and iTunes. So, and it's goldwalkmag.com. And so we, we try to publish things that are really conducive to being read aloud. And I think it's a, it's a really good niche. And I was actually published in Golden Walkman before I came on as editor. And it's a poem that I really wanted to speak and I was really happy to have it in audio form as opposed to being on the page in a journal. So it was actually really important to me. And I feel like the things that we publish, the people who we publish are really happy to have those pieces sort of in their own voice perfectly. So the authors record themselves? Yes. Unless they demure and then they can either have someone who they select read it or we will read it for them. But I don't think that's ever happened. We do mostly have the authors themselves read the piece, which I think matters because they know the exact intonations of the lines. So they can sort of give the most exact reading of a piece. So it makes me wonder now if if your format would accommodate something like a sort of a picture book sort of thing where on the on the website you would have you know some sort of illustrations and then the spoken word would go along with the illustrations. That's a really interesting idea and we do like sort of the the multimedia aspects. Uh one of the things that we do is a dialogue submission where the writers who submit are responding to a specific musical piece. And so that's still an audio thing, but it is sort of a multi-genre act of having this musical piece and then the poets responding to it. It is something that we'd sort of be interested in, yes. That's cool. Is it just poetry? We publish poetry, fiction, and nonfiction, but for the dialogue submissions, we usually zoom in on poetry because it sort of fits what we want to do with the dialogue between the music and the written art. That's cool. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm totally like angling to figure out whether or not my stuff belongs there. So, 
<laughs> we can have that conversation, absolutely. <laughs> so, so now let's talk about to break our backs with it. Um, if you yep. could go ahead and, and read the cover letter that was sent with it. Okay, so the cover letter from Brendan Walsh uh, reads, it's very simple, which I love. It says, I'm thrilled to submit three poems to Golden Walkman magazine. I write primarily about escape from and immersion in bodies and geographies. My work reflects the primal ecstasy of movement and environment. Thank you for your time and consideration. Sincerely, Brendan Walsh. Okay, that is pretty simple. I like that he, he you know, sort of gave you his oeuvre, you know, where, where his, he feels his strength lies. That's kind of cool. Yes, it gives us enough information to go into the reading of the poems with a little bit of information, but it doesn't go on too long. We have sometimes short novellas for cover letters, and, uh, and we'll probably get to it again later, but one of the things that we specifically ask in the guidelines is that people don't give bios. And a lot of people put their bio in the email anyway, and that's sort of really annoying to us because it <laughs> shows us they're not reading the website guidelines very well. I think that that's all authors, though. I feel like at our press, I would say a good 25% of the submissions we get have not followed the guidelines in some way. Yes, absolutely. We agree with that at Golden Walkman, <laughs> and it's sort of disheartening. <laughs> well, so part it, of life. it makes me wonder whether a lot of authors are just sort of blanket submitting to a million places. And so most places ask for a bio and, you know, your whatever your philosophy or whatever you want to put on your cover letter. And so they're just copy and pasting what they give to every other press to your press, which has specifically asked you not to do that. Yes, that's probably part of it. And one of the things that we loved about Brendan's submission was that the submission guidelines were followed exactly. Yay! That spoke really well of his professionalism. Excellent. So let's talk about the poem itself to yep. break our backs with it. So, so tell me what kinds of things really struck you guys as, as cool about this poem. Okay, so in the first line, there's a great collection of sounds and that is something that really matters to me in particular and to David as well but I think I'm sort of the hardliner that the poem needs to have sounds that are really sleek I'll read that first line look the ground bows to us dirt mends itself blah 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 so the ground bows is probably the thing I liked most in that line and I just I really like assonance it's something that gets me up in the morning assonance is important and so the language there sounded like poetry I heard talent and practice in all the choices and arrangements of words like everything felt like it was written that way on purpose and so that's something that spoke really well of not just the poem itself but also the poet very cool. I, you know, poetry is, is my weak point. 
you know, so for me, I'm not so good at the technicalities of poetry. So I really appreciate hearing from a poet who is, you know, really deeply immersed, what makes for really good poetry. Yeah, thanks. So I can say a couple other good things about the language as well. One of the things was that first line, and there's, it repeats later, look, it, there's an immediacy to it. What David said about this was that the directive made the poem feel intimate to me as if I was discussing the environmental devastation humans have caused over a drink with a friend. So it feels like the narrator is speaking to us is what I'd say to add to that. Cool. So I also kind of liked the, you know, addressing directly to the, to the reader. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a very important part of this poem and something that really endeared it to us. Absolutely. So let's switch tracks a little bit here. What didn't work as well? Mm -hmm. What, what were the things that made you guys say, well, ultimately we'll have to take a pass on this. Okay. So the language was sort of a double-edged sword here. The repeat of look felt good to us, but the repeat of the word ground in a few places so it didn't work as well for me. I didn't feel like any of the usages were differentiated from each other, and it's a word that you can use in a few different senses because you can use it to mean the ground beneath us, which is the way he used it, but it can also mean to grind something up in past tense. So if you're going to use a word more than twice, you might want to consider using it in a few different senses to sort of keep the word fresh. Otherwise it just seems overused. That's an excellent point. And I'm also thinking of like grounds as in evidence for or, you know, points in favor of. So you have, yeah, you have grounds for dismissal or grounds for a lawsuit, you know, that's, and I'm looking at this poem now and thinking, yes, if you had, you could have put ground in, in a few more places and switched it up and that would have really solidified things. Yes. So it would have been interesting to see that. Also, the language is sometimes hard to follow, so I didn't know what the narrator was trying to say sometimes, and I'll give one example, but the ground gives toil, gifts only once broken. It took me about five times to understand that, so that's not going to work in our audio format because it's really difficult to rewind on Stitcher, iTunes, rather than to read something on a page five times. So that was one of the reasons why, though we felt this was a good poem, it might not be right for us. And that doesn't mean it's a bad poem. That just means it needs to find a different home where people may be able to read it instead of listening to it, if that makes any sense. That totally makes sense. And I'm feeling much better having heard you say that because that is one of the 
parts of poetry that really makes me stumble when someone, you know, uses language in a way that you just don't in fiction. And so I was reading that same, that same piece, the ground gives toil gifts only once broken and thinking, what the fuck does that even mean? Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a tough time unpacking this poem too. We both found that the imagery was pretty abstract, maybe even underdeveloped. Maybe this poem needs to be a little longer to sort of explain some of that stuff because I, I did as well. I felt a little stupid reading it the first time and even the second time. And then by the third time through, when we were sort of considering this poem for the podcast, I said, yes, okay, I'm starting to really get more of this. (laughs) So, so I was looking at it and thinking, okay, so we've got, you know, regular sort of iambic, I'm not sure whether it's pentameter, I didn't count the number of feet, but you've got iambic feet to it, which is a very natural Mm. sort of cadence. And it makes me think, because this is, it's not necessarily rhyming. It makes me think that this person really, really, really steeped himself in Shakespeare. And a lot of Shakespearean poems read like this to us, where the the images are maybe a little a, a little beyond what the modern reader understands. You really have to have to struggle. And in Shakespeare, I feel like that's excusable because he is using, you know, idioms and turns of phrase that would have been more popular and more understandable in his time. Because speech has moved, you know, light years ahead in the time since Shakespeare, there are a lot of hidden sort of jokes in Shakespearean verse that just aren't there when you pronounce it the way that that modern people pronounce it. And so yeah, I feel like when you are writing something, but you're writing it in modern English and trying to call back to Shakespeare, I don't think that's possible. I don't think it works. <laughs> it's certainly a very difficult task. Yeah. And, and again, when you're talking about a poem that's close to publishing but doesn't, you're talking about a lot of double-edged swords. Yeah. There, this is a double-edged sword. Absolutely. What it is, is the, this poem feels like a master class sort of poem. There is so much talent embedded in it to write in that meter. The IMs are, are very difficult if you aren't very practiced. So this poem feels practiced and tight but also sort of aloof and hard to get inside of sometimes. So one of the things that helps with that is the directive, because we feel like we're being talked to. But on the other hand, it feels like we're being told things that maybe we're having a difficult time understanding. I I know that's how I felt, and that that sounds like it's the way you feel as well. Yeah, very true. So, you know, it's even harder and, and is my favorite is the amphibrach, which is uh, three syllables with a stress on the middle syllable. So vanilla, yeah. papaya, gorilla, banana. And I'm in love with that particular construction because to me, it's like galloping horses. Da, 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 yeah. da. 
And so when I when I play with poetry, that's the metrical foot that I love the best. Well, one one of those words in this poem is savannah. I I love the use of that to start a line. That was that was one of the things that I sort of picked out as a positive. So you have sounds like the ground boughs, but I also love grasses, savannas. It's a great way to end a line and begin a second line. Now, this is a thing about you specifically. When I was talking to Colleen, she kind of quoted you in uh, saying that line endings are something that, that authors should really, or poets, should really pay particular attention to. Yes. Yes. That is one of the things that I, that I care about very, very strongly. And there are some pluses and minuses in this poem. Of course, you can't necessarily hear them in the audio, but I still really look for them when I'm judging because it points to craft and it also points to the way the poem is going to be delivered, even if you don't necessarily hear it, if it's an enjambment, it can still sort of color the way the meter is spread across the page. So... I can give you, I, well, I just said grasses, savannas was a pretty good one. But then on the next, and that's that line, that same line that savannas is on, there's a good ending word, stifling. But then the next line starts with to our bodies. And I felt like that was very awkward. So if it were me, I would probably find a way to bring two up to the next line to sort of put it with the with the stifling stifling to our bodies makes a lot more sense to me than stifling to our bodies you know i'll be honest i don't even know if that too is necessary yeah yeah that's a thing i wouldn't disagree with you on that i try to sort of have respect for the way someone else has written it and not like xing out too many words, but that's one that could definitely go. That's one of those sort of Shakespearean sort of usages where, mm. where that too comes after the verb and it, it is awkward to Americans. And I, I think it's awkward just to modern people in general. And I think that Shakespeare did it for the same reason, that it fit the metrical foot a little bit better. Yes. And I, I guess when you are writing an entire play in iambic pentameter, having a couple of awkward lines is excusable. But I feel like in a, in a poem as short as this, uh, it stands out a little more than it does in a five-act play. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And it stands out because so many of the end words and beginning phrasings are so good in this poem. Like I said, grasses, savannas is a great one. Even if you go to the end of the next line, tired. If you go to the end of that stanza, look, the ground poisons as we poison it. That's exactly where that stanza break should occur. And that's across a stanza, an enjambment across a stanza, which I love. 
I absolutely love. <laughs> I was actually, I was workshopping in Salem a couple weeks ago, and everyone burst out laughing because I said, and I quote, I'm really hard into enjambment. <laughs> it sounds, <laughs> which sounds one way, <laughs> but I, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you know, I'm I am loving that you just let your poetry nerd out. And, you know, that's that's awesome. So to you, what was the very best part of this submission? I think the, the thing that I liked the most was the language and the voice, which are really tied together. The reason I, we, we chose to query more work was because we love the sounds and we felt like the narrator was speaking to us. We felt like it was a voice that wanted to speak to us. And and you had told me that this particular poem, although you took a pass for it because uh, I guess you felt that it was better uh, on the page, it was picked up by another press. Yes, so it's going to be in a chapbook, which, which actually I can look up the details, but it's supposed to be released rather soon. Um, and we're so happy about that because we did feel like it was a valuable poem, even if it wasn't right for us. So that's part of it is what I was talking about earlier, that it just didn't feel like an audio poem to us. So putting it in a chapbook is a very different experience. You've got someone who, the reader, I mean, the reader is going to be sort of holding this thing in their hands and spending more time with it, where maybe you can, if you're the reader, you can unpack a little bit more of that dense language and the abstractness of it that you wouldn't necessarily want to do in the space of a 10-minute podcast, um, meaning our journal, or even just a print journal where there are a hundred poems that you want to read, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I know that for our press, every once in a while, we will get a poem and you can look at it and see that this poem was really made to be performed. And we have in the past um, asked those poets for an audio file because, you know, we love the work, but it's really hard sometimes to to see work that you know that you just can't do justice to in the format that you're using. Yeah. By the way, I tracked down the chapbook details. Yeah, email those and we'll put them in the but, show notes. Cool. Yeah, so so I definitely I definitely agree with the idea that a poem wants to be in sort of its its best form. And that's one of the reasons why we why David created the journal and it's one of the reasons why I love editing for the journal is because we get to give these poems a voice that makes more sense to the specific poems that we publish maybe than the written, I mean, the printed page would. And, and that's a whole side of poetry, which is valid. And when when some of my friends talk about slam poetry versus poetry, it's slam poetry is always sort of denigrated and it's, you know, like the little brother or something. But they're different forms of the same art that both sort of deserve respect. 
and some things just sound better than they look like on a page, and that's fine, and that's that's the variety that we should want as consumers of poetry. We shouldn't want everything to be the same. Yeah, a former Zoetic editor always referred to it as the difference between page poetry and stage poetry. And I've never, as a fiction person, I've never understood the sort of rivalry between those things because to me, it, it's like, it's as though there were a different, there were a rivalry between, say, fiction and nonfiction writers, which just isn't a thing. You know, they do their thing, mm-hmm. we do our thing. I feel like, you know, that that you're right. There should be um, acknowledgement that these are two different genres, really. And they're both valid and they're both great. Yeah, I, I feel like, first of all, you're absolutely right. And I feel like my suspicion about some of the tension between the two is that both types of writers would like to do what the other is better at. So as a poet who publishes in print sometimes, I also would love to perform. And I've, <laughs> I've had a lot of sort of chances to do that in, in very strange and wonderful ways, including with Colleen when we were in a poetry circus at the Poetry Festival. And I've done a couple poetry brothels, which are really, really interesting. I just did one on Friday and poured out my poetry for <laughs> private readings, which is... So wait, now now you have to tell me what a poetry brothel is. Now I'm I'm dying. It's 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 just what it sounds like. It's sort of a it's a night of burlesque, aerial acts. Uh, there's a feature poet. There's a live band, and there then there are poetry whores, of which I was one. And we sort of walk around the crowd, work the crowd, and try and lure them into a private room for a paid reading (laughs) to pour out our poetry for them. That's (laughs) awesome. So, so you're sidling up to people and going, Hey, Hey, Hey babe, are you looking for a sonnet? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My poems have birds in them. Oh my God. (laughs) That is so great. That is so great. It was a wonderful experience to do this one on Friday. It was at, a place that was sort of on my life list to perform at, which is Oberon in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It's a part of the American Repertory Theater group. And it was was really a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It was amazing. That is the best. Now I want to do something like that at AWP. Yeah, yeah, they they do travel. It's the Poetry Society of New York does these things and they've done some I think they've even done them on the west coast but they do them in New York and they want to do one in Providence, Rhode Island so. Okay so for those for those people who are interested in going but who don't know how this works um, let's say that we like the look of you and we like we like the notion of you reading us a bird poem. What are we what would it cost us to get you alone in a room where you're going to read to us? Uh, at a poetry brothel event, it is $7 for a private reading, but you can get a discount if you buy more tokens. Ah. So, yes. Okay, okay. 
And does the money go into the pockets of the poets, which is a charity in itself, or does it go somewhere else? It goes into the pockets of the poets. Yes, I traded in my tokens for cash monies, which is amazing. You never get paid. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I feel like the word poetry contains the word po, which is what most poets are, just po, all of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> you obviously know very many of us. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. And and yeah, that's a that's a thing that I, I always sort of despair over. Like, oh, well, you know, I'm sorry that you're not doing very well, but you are a poet. I don't know what you expected, but... <laughs> that's right definitely <laughs> oh that's great that's great okay so i want to thank my guest joey gould from the golden walkman and i would love to thank brendan walsh for his excellent poem to break our backs with it thanks for thanks for being on the show joey it was my pleasure. Thank you, Brendan. I'd like to thank you as well for being so open for us to have this discussion about it. It's an amazing conversation to have. Absolutely. The Literary Whip is a production of Zoetic Press. Our theme music is Fake Turkish Coup by Gospel of Mars. Nate Maxson is our voice of Truman Capote. You can email us at podcast at zoeticpress.com or check out our Facebook page, The Literary Whip. Thank you for listening.